Find a moment of calm at Classical WETA 90.9 FM. Available to stream now at classicalweta.org or on the Classical WETA app. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. As always, we're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now. The best antidote to anxiety is action. We've won some battles, but we still have more work to do. There are 20 days till Joe Biden is inaugurated, six days until the Georgia special election, and two days until we slam the door on 2020. Joining us to discuss all of that is the president and co-founder of The New Agenda and creator of The Weekly List, Amy Siskin. She's been calling out the erosion of norms and the rise of authoritarianism since Trump took office. So we're going to talk about what he broke, what we can fix, and what our priorities need to be in 2021. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How How We We Win. Win. How was your holiday, Steve? Oh, it was it was nice and it was peaceful. Um, you know, we didn't go back east like we usually do and see our family. Obviously, um, travel was off the table. Seeing our family was off the table, like so many of us. But we are grateful that we are healthy and um, and have a nice home to celebrate the holidays in. So, and I'm especially grateful for the delicious horchata cake that you sent us which <laughs> kept me wired and in a good mood the entire holidays. One last sugar rush before the end of the year. I'm eating <laughs> so much cake and candy. It's What about good. you? How was your holiday? Um also peaceful. My husband was very perplexed that the baby got so many gifts. <laughs> gifts kept coming to the house and he would say is anything for me no it's jackson's first christmas it's jackson's first christmas so it was lovely to have a first christmas and just unwind and unplug and um not check my emails which i have been chained to all year in part because of our our guest today who Right. Sends out such great comprehensive emails each week. I mean, she used to send them out each week. We're going to talk to her about when she was able to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, um, we we want to kind of review 2020 uh, and we want to do it with Amy. We don't want to wait. So um, this is it. Our last show of 2020, if you all can believe it. And we're so pleased to be joined by Amy Siskin to help us wrap up the year. Amy, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me and for all your work as well. Absolutely. The weekly list was both a, a lifesaver for me over the, the past few years and also um, just like, you know, drinking from a fire hose, of course. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> How nicely put. <laughs> I was like, there's so there's so much to read. There's so much information. Talk to us about how it started, how it grew, and how you managed to um, keep it going for so long. 
to answer your last question, I, yeah, that's a, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm still in the coming down from it phase. I, mm-hmm. I really, when I started in November, 2016, had no grand ambition of where it would go. I just was disturbed by a lot of the impulses that I saw in Trump. And it reminded me very much of, you know, as a Jewish American of, of the uprise of Hitler. So mm-hmm. Uh, I read up at that point about authoritarianism and the one common thread from a number of writers was how things would probably be going on a predictable path. Like Mm -hmm. I read about Marsha Gessen's November, 2016 article pretty much has happened. But the other thing they warned us about is we would be like a frog in water coming to boil degree Mm -hmm. by degree and we would start to normalize things. So the list was really an exercise to write things down that were not normal each week. So we would be able to you know, self-reflect on what was changing around us. And week one, I started after I, w- I went to the home of Eleanor Roosevelt, which is about an hour and a half from where I live in, in Valkyll. Uh, she's always been my North star uh, mm. throughout my life. Mm. And I went to her home that day and just, you know, her writings about the importance of we, the people are the democracy and we are the government. I just decided that night to, I came home and started to write things down. And that first week was only nine items mm. as we finished off year four. It was yeah, some weeks over 300, not normal items a week. Mm. So you know, this went from a hobby to in year four, consuming 50 to 60 hours of my life every week and mm-hmm. staying up till 11 or midnight just to keep up with him uh, and working every day. And um, no, so one I'm, I'm, should, no one should be subjected to that and have to keep track of all <laughs> the not normal things. So thank you so much for doing that incredibly important work. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, um, yeah, it, uh, by the time it kept going, I just realized the importance of it and um, stuck with it. And it will be, therefore, a, a way for future historians and current book writers and historians to write about this era and have the, not let them repaint what happened and what was done and try to gloss over it, which you can already see some of the Republicans trying to do. Mm. Um, it will be the recorded, it's the recorded history of the four years and the four years plus and all the broken norms. You got your news from a lot of very different sources. And it, what was so great about the list is that it, like you said, it's comprehensive and keeps everything in one place. Do you think there was um, adequate or good media coverage about these issues throughout the last four years? There was so much media coverage. Mm-hmm. The question is now, was it the right kind? Or did you feel like you were ha- constantly having to like dig into government websites and reports and things like that to, to uncover things? Yeah. So because the list is just supposed to be um, without a voice and a, 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 of opinion, it's just supposed to be factual mm-hmm. uh, and reporting. I only used the most mainstream media sources. Like mm-hmm. the Washington Post is number one, followed by the New York Times and Politico and CNN. Uh, but I did not purposefully use sites that are more tinted to the far left or the far right Mm -hmm. that are more opinionated. So everything in the list is fact. And the exercise I did need to go through a lot of times was, is this normal 
or is this something that Trump is doing that's abnormal? So everything, every bullet in the list is something not normal, not necessarily something leaning Republican Democrat. For example, when news was finally breaking by the mainstream papers of what was happening on our southern border. And there was a mural of Trump at one of the inbound places where immigrants were being processed, mm. uh, you know, with the <laughs> inappropriate language related to that had nothing to do with immigration. Everyone was outraged at that time, but then I researched and found out that it was actually not abnormal to have a picture of the sitting leader of the country mm-hmm. in an immigration site, but the, it was only the way it was presented that was not normal. So that might be an example of the way I take things a step further than what meets the eye. So if it's something Obama did or, or George W. Bush or Reagan, uh, then it's not in the list. These are really things that are not normal to our democracy. How did it feel to write, quote unquote, the end after week oh. 208? Oh, my God. And, you know, I feel like the, the, if you believe in a higher being and, and the power of the universe, it just the way it happens. So the list goes from Saturday at noon till Saturday at noon. And it just so happened that the vote was certified on November 7th at 1130 a.m. <laughs> Saturday. And so I got to literally write the end in week 208, which was exactly, you know, four, 52 mm-hmm. times four, four years. So the symmetry of that was just beautiful. Uh, and then a lot of people had urged me, rightfully so, that he would continue through inauguration. So the list itself by week cuts off um, that November 7th at noon. But then I've continued it in a section called after that's split by month. So the first section is up in the first podcast for November um, 7th through the end of November. And then I'll do one for December and then one until inauguration. Uh, But yeah, yeah, that and the confluence of just by hit or miss as I was as I was finishing the list, a book about Eleanor came out and I the first day of writing the list, I again had gone to finish uh, to visit Val Kill. Uh, the book just showed up at my house. I didn't know the author, I didn't know the publisher, and I just opened it and I was like, wow. And long story short, through posting about that, the FDR library has asked me to do an event um, when we can be back in person again, at least socially distant. So I'll have that nice symmetry of opening and closing with the Roosevelt, which also for me personally is, is a lovely part of the project. But um, I'm glad to see him go. We all are. And these last weeks are kind of uh, going by it ever so slowly, but they are going by and he will be leaving us on January 20th in 225 hours. But who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> Torturous pace. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you find Eleanor Roosevelt so inspirational? Sure. I, I, um, my parents had me later in life. So my, my mom was born in 1920 and my dad in 1918. And so lived through that era. And, um, I, those were the stories I grew up with, mm-hmm. were the Roosevelt's and the Kennedy's. And so it was a very formative part of my life, Eleanor. And I have to tell you, I'm reading her biography, and this is an, her new biography. It's excellent, but both of them, I, you know, I, they were 
in, in their early part of their lives so incredibly flawed as relates to how we view equality. Eleanor got much better, but it was it was heartbreaking for me to read. I mean, I, you know, you know history, but and you sort of visualize these people as these. Yeah, I, I think today we hold people to this almost perfection kind of stand. Like if, if everyone in the last 20 years of their life hasn't done everything exactly as we would want, that we judge them very severely. But um, you, you see the arc of how Eleanor changed. Uh, FDR never really did. He was pretty racist. I mean, we know what Japanese internment camp was one of his last acts, mm -hmm. deporting Mexicans, deporting all sorts of people, you know, Jews, Poles, um, being racist, being heavily anti-Semitic, both of them, which was heartbreaking. I mean, Eleanor got better, homophobic as well. Um, so uh, Eleanor, despite her flaws, was somebody who you know, in, in my mind was very formative part of all of those policies that took place during the depression that saved our country and saved humanity at that time. And then are still with us today, a lot of those policies. So she's to me, the, you know, a, a lesson in for all of us in tying our activism to humanity and looking out for those less fortunate, even if we are fortunate, and having our activism be very much tied to looking out for those who are impacted, always fighting for that. That was hmm. something she did through the time with FDR and then after. And she spent, just a, as, as relates to the list, a lot of time and a lot of the exhibit about her at Val Kill is about her uh, her views on government and we, the people are the government. And that's something that I think gets lost and is very lost right now with what's happening in our Congress and its dysfunction, that they're there to serve us. And it doesn't seem like you see that in any way with the Republican party at this point, like the Lord knows what they're doing there. Mm. Um, not wanting to send out stimulus to people starving and right. worried about paying their bills and their credit cards. I mean, whatever it is that they're worried about paying down, it's, it, that's not what the government was meant to be. Mm. So I was going to ask you about that, for the, the lessons that you've learned. You obviously did a lot of research and context over developing the list for the last four years. What are the most important things that you discovered through that work that maybe you didn't know about our government? Well, how fragile our democracy is, is the overarching concern I have. And that if we don't address things under the Biden administration and take action against what's happened these last four years, it could very easily happen again. And it will have been a test run by someone who is overall very incompetent. Yeah. Um, but somebody with competence could take right. those tools and do some real damage and, and end our democracy. So looking at Trump, which I was in the foxhole with him every day from November 9th, 2016 mm. until January 20th, 2021. So I know him, I know his patterns. I, I, I know what he was up to. I could, uh, that in the way, in a way was sort of freeing for me at the end because I, I, he didn't have the same impact on me psychologically because I, I follow him more analytically, mm. but he's been the same person when I did week one as he is now. He's cared about two things, making money and staying in power. That's been the central theme throughout. So I could see trends happening early and how he was deconstructing our federal agencies and, and how he was leaving us in a position to be vulnerable uh, and, and how he was realigning our 
global alliances to team up with dictators, which I think we'll find out there was a quid pro quo there. We already know that. And to some extent from New York Times reporting that he was getting licensing fees from Turkey. Mm-hmm. But those were his central themes throughout. And um, I, I, I think an important function for all of us who are activists in 2021 will be making sure that Biden doesn't try to be so conciliatory mm. that there's not accountability. Because somebody like a Ted Cruz or a Rubio or Nikki Haley could take these tools and you know, it would be the end of democracy. Right. Uh, and so that worries me that if we do not co- codify a lot of these broken norms in my list, um, that this will happen again. And there needs to be accountability. There needs to be laws on the books for everything from, we should see your tax returns. We should see your medical records. You should not be able to sell U.S. interests uh, and, and repatriate that money and personally profit from it. These simple things need to be put into law. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm sure all of us do. And, um, you know, it just reinforces why it's so important that we win these two Georgia seats and get the majority in the Senate, because um, Mm -hmm. we, you know, I I hope and think that Biden uh, has the will to really reform our government and, uh, as you said, codify all these broken norms. And and I also agree with you that Trump has been kind of like a ham-handed stress tester on our democracy and sort of like the, the person you bring in to break into your corporate security measures and find out where the vulnerabilities are and where the weaknesses are. And, and, uh, and hopefully we can now patch those up, but it's going to take political will. And Mitch McConnell will, of course, block every, every effort at that. So what do you think are some ways that we can put pressure on our elected uh, officials and help do work as activists to reform our government and safeguard it against these attacks? Well, I think, number one, we should not put away our marching shoes and our protest signs, because I think if, if that doesn't happen in 2021, we need to show up in person again and start marching and protesting in D.C., um, you know, coronavirus and, and vaccine, uh, you know, uh, it, it, hopefully by then. But we're going to need to take to the streets again to make sure there's accountability. And that will be part of our activism. And I think that will also be tied to our successes in 2022 and 2024, because I think mm-hmm. a lot of the electorate, the, the 81 million people showed up, it was not for Biden in totality. A lot mm-hmm. of those people, we all know them, showed up because we realized how dangerous Trump was and we were concerned about losing our democracy. So those people aren't coming back to the polls if we like move on, like, you know, it's everything's hunky dory and nothing bad happened. You're going to lose all of those people as well. So from a strategic point as well, it's really important that the Democrats show that there's hearings for some of these things that happen, that there's an attorney general that will actually pursue lawlessness, mm-hmm. not just by Trump, but by others in his regime. Yeah. Uh, there needs to be that level of, of, of a check put on them, or you're going to see people walk away from the political process. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think the votes in the suburbs, many of us who like worked so hard for four years to get these white women in the suburbs to come into our party in 2018 and 2020, which we had success in doing, uh, those votes are, uh, you know, on lease. <laughs> they are not here to stay. Wow. So we need to continue to earn those. And 
that is my concern that will then unless there is that feel of accountability we'll also be in danger in 2022 of keeping the house yeah so many great points and i think what i'm i'm hearing is um as activists we have to continue to get out the vote but the other piece that you're talking about is this sort of government accountability and it's not only about the biden administration making these atypical things that you pointed out not normal, but also, um, you know, I think we could kind of look at the previous administration, the Obama administration and say some of the things that they did, we accepted, and then Trump took them to just such a sinister level. Yeah. Um, And we can't get too comfortable and allow another administration just because they're more humane to do things that are against our values either. Right. Right. And and that's going to be hard work, but I think yeah, it's a lot our government is so broken now. Mm. That's part of what I tracked in the list. You know, we were four years in and like 25% of the key roles in our executive branch still were unstaffed. Mm. The turnover, uh, you know, was, was record level for all of those agency positions. So whoever takes over these agency roles, I think job number one for them is going to literally be bringing people back <laughs> because there these agencies have been stripped to the core and we mm. don't even have a functioning government. So I hear you that there are some things that have not gone well in government period. Uh, and those need to be addressed over time. But I think the SOS kind of stuff ahead of, because it, all these things take time is the basic meat and potatoes of how our government functions. Like some of this language is unclear in the constitution and that needs to be clear. The voting rights act needs to be codified because Mm -hmm. when the Supreme court kicked that out of the door, that's, you know, that's something I think early on. So there's so many things we need to be concerned about, but I think the early stuff has to be like restaffing our government, getting it functional. Again, we have literally no government response right now to the pandemic or to any of the things happening in this country. So we, that's job number one. And, and the brass tacks of accountability for these kind of things that's happened. I mean, we need hearings when the coronavirus is over for what went wrong. Yeah. We need hearings yeah. for kids in cages. And, 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 and there needs to be some accountability. The American people need to see that this was not okay. Absolutely. And fascism really responds terribly to a lack of accountability. So, um, these, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the one other pattern of Trump in these entire four years. He would do something, get away with it, and then he would push the boundary further. Every time he got away with something, uh, and and he was enabled by, you know, that op-ed in the New York Times by the lawyer who helped him draft what started off as a Muslim ban and got blocked. So then he reinvented it as the travel ban for six countries, none of which had Trump properties. Uh, He just kept pushing it pushing the boundary each time further and further with each thing that he did until he could get away with it. And so that sets a scary precedent. Yeah. Well, 2020, um, by any metric, has been a horrific year for everyone and very tragic for many people. I don't even I don't even mean to make light of it, as we often do, because it's been so terrible. But some good things happened in 2022. And as we look back on the year, I thought it would be nice for us all to share something good that happened in 2020. So (laughs) (laughs) it's almost over. That's my good thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost over. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the best thing about 2020 is it almost uh, being gone. That's right. <laughs> well, we got rid of Trump. That was the most important thing. Let's face it. I mean, if we didn't get rid of him, we would now be moving into authoritarian land. We would be an authoritarian regime. That would have been our last remotely fair election. Our elections are not, you know, we, we have a lot of issues with our elections still, but job number one, and not only our country, but the entire world was celebrating that we, we toppled a dictator. And we should not diminish the fact of all of our hard work and getting 81 million people to vote. That was tremendous. And as somebody who watched and read a lot about authoritarian regimes and watched the uprise of our own with Trump, it's really hard after four years to end a regime that quickly. They usually last for decades. And I think a lot of the people that voted for Trump were, they just gave in. People give up and they give in. And so many people, you know, that were Democrats were convinced we were going to lose because they had given up and given in. But we stuck with it. And I think it's tremendously important what we did and a tremendous job on all our parts to topple a dictator that quickly. Absolutely. Here, here. And not that there's hasn't been violence and I fear there will be some more, um, but we did it. Peacefully, we didn't have to go to war yes. to talk to topple a dictator, which uh, is pretty much without precedent in history when it comes to the rise of fascism. So, um, true, yeah. true, yes. Um, what about you, Mariah? What's what's a good thing for you that's happened in twenty twenty? I can think of a few, but <laughs> I, I had a lot of you know I had good things happen personally, but from a, a much broader perspective, just the the record civic engagement was the best thing, whether it was voter turnout or organize, organizers registering voters in critical places that we, you know, I remember us talking about back in January, February, and um, people, you know, going to the streets and protesting what were basically lynchings, which, um, you know, we sometimes get complacent about. So I think that as hard as 2020 was, for everybody, uh, a lot of good happened. What about you, Steve? (laughs) Well, I'm very angry with you because you took mine. Um, But, (laughs) and there's only been two good things that have happened in 2020. So, no. Um, We got it. We got it. We got it. We got to coordinate in advance. (laughs) (laughs) We do. We need to talk about these things. We have show notes. Why don't we pay attention to them? Um, No, I, well, I, I will just expound on it because I had expectations that volunteers would step up and, um, and get involved based on what the historic volunteer engagement we saw during the midterms. Um, I knew for the presidential uh, election, like Amy articulated earlier, uh, it wasn't necessarily all for Biden. It was a lot of, um, we got to get rid of Trump. And uh, it was just an enormous, obviously it showed in the turnout, but the volunteers that stepped up to take action, to make phone calls, Amy, I I work also as training director for Swing Left, and I had the pleasure of running all of these training webinars leading up to the election with hundreds and hundreds of brand new people who would never consider making a phone call to a stranger and were terrified to do it and didn't want to do it, thought it sounded like the worst idea in the world, but they were willing to put that aside and step up and do this important work anyway. And uh, it was just so inspiring. And um, uh, and that's what we don't want to lose. That's what I'm so concerned about, that if we just go back to the vanilla and we don't take care of the accountability, those people are going to throw up their hands and say, I'm done. 
Yeah. You know, I, I hear you. I, I saw that. I had so many friends that for the first time voted, <laughs> got involved, had lawn signs. But thank you for doing that. That That's truly God's work, training all those people and getting out the vote. <laughs> truly. Oh, it's so much fun. It's it's the best. And I agree. Our work right now is to stay engaged. Like, you know, hopefully people got a little taste of civic engagement for the first time, like I did not too long ago. I jumped in after Trump was elected really in earnest. I'd volunteered before, but... So um, looking ahead into 2021, uh, a perfect segue. Uh, we, we always do a segment on our show called Reasons for Hope, where we share our reasons for hope. Um, yep. So uh, looking ahead and keeping people engaged in 2021, um, Amy, what's your reason for hope for 2021? Well, something that your viewers, listeners might not know about me is before I did the list, I also run a national women's organization that was started in 2008 when Hillary Clinton dropped out the first time. It's called The New Agenda. And one of our main goals has always been representation for women in positions of leadership. And more than once, I found myself in tears (laughs) with Biden's cabinet and leadership picks for the diversity and um, just like tears of joy to know that all these young kids are going to see leaders that look like them, that yeah, from Janet Yellen to Deb Harlan to, I mean, it's just been tremendous to see our first, I think 11 of the cabinet picks are historic already. And to have half of your cabinet be women and to have half of your cabinet be people of color, it's just, uh, yeah, that to me, it's hard to put into words how positive an impact that's going to have on our country, just to see that visually for the next four years, to see those people being the decision makers and in the rooms where decisions are happening. So that's that to me is just such a positive that came out of all of that. Love that. Mariah, what's your reason for hope for 2021? Oh, goodness. Um, You know what? I was just fantasizing about a really boring year. Like where we're where we're doing like wonky deep dives into policy for the podcast because you know everybody's on their best behavior, making making good legislation. Um, I know it's not going to be like that. I know Mitch McConnell is going to keep doing what he does, and I know that the Trumps aren't going anywhere and all of that stuff. But I do have hope that there are going to be some boring weeks in 2021. It's already gotten really boring. Uh, just I mean, for some context, the weekly list got up to like 300 items a week um, as we finished. And now it's like 300 items for the entire month of December. So things have already dramatically <laughs> slowed down. Thank God yeah. you can breathe. I love that. I'll, building on that, my my hope for 2021 is fewer podcasts where we record and then get completely blown up later that day by brand new breaking news that we didn't address in our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. It but, feels like that's happening, doesn't it? I mean, look at the news. This, and it's not only because it's the holidays, because I've been tracking every year during the holidays. He's always super busy blowing things up. So <laughs> it, it, you can already feel things just sort of coming down to earth again. Yeah. Um, so that is a positive for everyone's physical and mental health. We've been in a four-year abusive relationship. 
We have, and it's it's you know it's going to be hard for people to pivot from being the resistance to being in power to expressing our power and staying engaged. And I I admit I am fully guilty of having a lovely quiet time with my family over the holidays, only to pick up Twitter and check out what Trump is doing and get furious uh, for no good reason. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we we need to break ourselves of of that habit and and keep staying engaged in a positive way. And that's my hope for 2021. And I'm seeing it right now with Georgia, which is, of course, our call to action. We have six days until the special election is over. So that means every phone call we can make from now until then is just so existentially important. Um, So Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. (laughs) Yes. Praying for Georgia. That makes such a difference. Bless all the people that are doing that work, Stacey Abrams and all the other activists, getting out all these first-time voters that didn't even vote in the presidential election. Wow. Yeah. Just got to like, keep, keep our foot on the pedal till the end. Just keep pushing, whatever we can do. Yeah, we're already seeing better turnout than we saw for the presidential year, um, yeah. which is very encouraging. But again, like... Don't don't get comfy with that foot on the gas. If anyone, any of our listeners missed it last week, we had a great interview with John Ossoff. And so listen to that if you missed it, if you need to catch up because that was over the holidays and then make some phone calls. Let's help elect Ossoff and Warnock and take that gavel out of Mitch McConnell's hand. Yes, yes. (laughs) End the reign of terror. Amy, thank you so much for going through all of this with us. I'm sure you're like, please, just let me rest now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no more not normal news. <laughs> I will be very happy when January 20th comes. <laughs> I work since the election has been more just having everyone be calm and telling them he is going to leave because we are all psychologically battered. We've, we've been in a relationship with a narcissist for four years. and um, I, th- I think it's going to take years, if not decades, for people to emotionally heal from this period. It's, you know, my, myself included from coming down from you know, spending too much time in his brain, <laughs> that small place. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I think things are going to start to feel better in 2021, especially in the second half as we get vaccinated and we can start to you know, come out from hiding again. It would be wonderful. So here's to a hopeful 2021. Thank you. Happy New Year, Amy Siskin. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, guys. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for joining us and for stepping up to take action in Georgia. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. What brings you hope for 2021? We want to hear from you. Tweet to us at BluesBoySteve and at Mariah underscore Craven or email us at podcast at swingleft.org. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Share our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, I'll say it once again, sign up to Phone Bank in Georgia. We're going to release next week's show a day late on Thursday in the hopes that we have some great Georgia results to talk about. We're also going to be joined by Swing Left Executive Director Tori Taylor for a look ahead into how we stay engaged in 2021. We will see you then. Happy New Year, everybody. Goodbye, 2020. Bye.
W.